Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello! Hello. And taking Bill Graham's place for today, a special guest, it's Josh Lewis. Uh, hi, folks. Hello. Josh was on last time to talk about Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible. Fallout. Mm-hmm. A, we had a good time doing that one it was a grand old time recording it it was a hell of a time piecing it back together <laughs> yeah. after my computer crashed i don't think you know about that josh but i, I had did to, not hear about that oh i my had God. to reconstruct that entire episode by sequencing yeah. three second clips <laughs> <laughs> it took me four days i wanted oh, to kill man. myself <laughs> Anyway, you're back. Hopefully, (laughs) the post-production on this episode is much easier. For those who didn't listen to the Fallout episode, why don't you tell the people at home a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. I am a uh, freelance film critic of places such as the film stage, uh, but also I host my own podcast called Sleezoids, where we talk all kinds of genre and exploitation films from the pre-2000s, which is why... I think I was asked to come on this week's show because I am a particular fan of uh, violent films, genre films, and exploitation films, uh, and I'm excited to do that here today with all of you guys. Oh hell yeah. And that is because we are here today to talk primarily about Dragged Across Concrete, the newest film from writer-director S. Craig Zoller, who previously did Bone Tomahawk and Brawl in Cell Block 99. In addition... Michael three Snydell. Three with those titles. I'm just saying. <laughs> Michael Snydell has blackmailed me into allowing him to talk briefly about Climax, the newest film from Gaspar Noé. So we will do that as well. Um, before we do any of that stuff, though, let's talk about Twitter, where you can find us at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Of course, you can give us a comment or rating on iTunes. Email us, podcastfilmstage.com. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that sounds about right. That's about it. <laughs> In addition, you can become a patron of this series and help us produce more great content by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super secret Slack channel, as well as entry into any number of awesome movie raffles. We recently gave away Burning and Widows. And so if you would like to be a part of that, Go to patreon.com slash the film stage show. And of course, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their talented curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. Each film lives for 30 days before disappearing into the ether. And that means you constantly have a rotating selection of 30 great films to check out. Uh, one of the films that is going to be added. Uh, they've currently got a double bill going on, exploring Hollywood's complicated past with communism. And one of the films is Red Hollywood from 1996 from Tom I Anderson. I started that one. That one's real interesting. 
you started it, but you have not finished it. I have I've not finished it. That's how interesting it was. <laughs> you know what? Sorry, I just had to get I, that crack in there. I'm sure it is interesting. <laughs> the problem with Michael is that like recommendations. He really will nil. start a movie and be like, "Guys, this movie fucking rocks," and then you're like, "So how was it?" And he's like, oh, "I didn't finish it. I've got to finish it like in two days." <laughs> Like, I can't well, do that. I can't do that. I got I got to commit to watching it. <laughs> what are the You did that twice this week cuz you were like I'm going to watch Queen of Earth and then you didn't do it all in one <laughs> shot and then you were like I'm going to watch Spar- uh, the standoff at Sparrow Creek and then again just didn't follow through on that. I watched both just Eventually. significantly later than I said I was going to watch both of them. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> anyway, Tom Anderson <laughs> Who did Los Angeles plays itself alongside uh, Noel Borsch and turned their exacting gaze onto the turbulent period of McCarthyism and its crusade against some of Hollywood's finest artisans. An essential reckoning with the American motion picture history and cinema's capacity as a political art. So if you would like to check out a film, the opening of which Michael Snydell says is very interesting, <laughs> go to... <laughs> <laughs> Mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30 day trial. Again, that is M U B I dot com slash film stage for a free 30 day trial. So before we begin our feature full length, uh, you know, spoiler review of Dragged Across Concrete and everything, we're going to have a very brief spoiler free nutshell review of Climax from both Michael Snydell and Josh Lewis. Michael's going first. All right. Oh, that, great. that answers that question. All Michael right, Snydell. How, how long do I have on the clock, Brian? Uh, I am going to give you, uh, I think, two minutes, and then Josh will have two minutes, and then you will each get a one-minute rebuttal. So, <laughs> Very fair. I don't think that's necessary. I was no, like, a presidential uh, debate. Michael, or, uh, yeah, Michael Snydell, your time starts now. Uh, okay, Climax is the latest film by uh, Anfan uh, Terrible, uh, Gaspar Noé, who you may know from Irreversible, the film with a, what is it, seven minute long take rape scene, or uh, Enter the Void, or Love, the 3D pornographic film with a uh, cum shot in it. Uh, we're earning that explicit tag early this episode. Um and uh, Climax is a celebration of dance, sort of, but then in, in expected form, it turns into a fucking nightmare. Uh, it, it's a lot of the formal language of Enter the Void is what especially it reminded me in terms of Gaspar Noe's stuff. It's a lot of like isometric camera shots of this uh, – these uh, overhead shots of this huge dance troupe who's doing – just this fantastically uh, entertaining uh, dancing, which is it seems to kind of go from avant-garde to crumping to all, all kinds of interesting things. Uh, expectedly, though, Gaspar Noe's like true intentions come out and the movie starts getting really like it starts wanting to poke you with a needle and won't actually draw blood but we'll do it enough to be irritating and deeply unpleasant. And uh, I didn't really enjoy this movie very much, but the dance scenes are really good. And that's what I'll say about climax. People are and aren't talking about it. It kind of came and went in a way that I didn't expect given how divisive it was. Uh, Our 
editor is actually on record as saying it's one of uh, the worst films he's seen in years. But um, yeah, Time. Climax is fine. <laughs> Jordan Rapp, his direct quote was, <laughs> it is historically bad. Oh, yes, that was it. All right. Two minutes for oh. Michael. Resetting the clock. Josh Lewis, your time starts now. Well, see, I'm this is going to be tough because I, I wish I could like come to its defense in some capacity because I did like it. I thought that it was fine, though. Uh, and that's mostly because I'm not that annoyed with Gasper yet. <laughs> I, I feel like most people are kind of coming into it on like a either you kind of dig what Gasper's doing, which is the sort of like very uh, formally audacious nightmares that uh want to uh either obnoxiously or interestingly depending on what kind of uh side of this you fall on provoke you and uh i think michael had a, had a good analogy when he said poke you with a needle specifically they're they're very unpleasant undeffers every single time from what i understand uh but i've only actually seen irreversible and love and i didn't even really fully finish love so i came into climax being like I'm probably willing to give this guy another shot. And I, I, I've heard everything about him and I was actually not too thoroughly. uh, I understand why climax is kind of considered maybe one of his more accessible films, because in terms of some of the content, it doesn't get as depraved in uh, showing you content as you would think it does, especially when we, let's say in comparison to someone we'll be talking about very soon uh s craig zoller who it's almost tame honestly <laughs> yeah climax is honestly it, from noe's reputation it honestly comes across rather tame um other than the fact that uh you don't really understand why it's really getting depraved he doesn't really try to make you care or understand why he's just like this was kind of fun and then then it's like oh yeah but see it's actually kind of less fun now and like that's his <laughs> trick uh, and you know, for me, the camera work was enough to get me kind of interested in, in what he's going for just cause Benoit Deby, obviously yeah. cinematographer for both, uh, no way and, uh, Harmony Corinne multiple times Time. now as well. <laughs> I think he's doing beach bum as well. Yeah. Him. So he did spring breakers and now he's doing beach bum for Harmony Corinne. Uh, so his 35 millimeter photography and the way that he lights with these just really deep neon colors is really you know it's compelling to watch but noe really doesn't have a deep well of imagination when it comes to this kind of stuff and i could already see clips of what i've seen from enter the void and bits of irreversible and love and everything just through his work and i feel like I feel like I'm not really that compelled to go deeper into Noe's work because it feels like he just kind of keeps doing the same thing. And it's especially weird, too, here is in the dance troupe. uh, He kind of just makes them like young party culture. And that's what he's decided. And he's decided that that's that's what's kind of (laughs) scary. And and I was just like, okay, I don't know. For me, a lot of it just played as like a like a, a drug ad but like a horror sure. movie drug ad where you're just kind of watching all these kids and they're having fun and they're like, yeah, see, they're so free and liberated. Uh, but also, uh, that sexual liberation is also really fucking scary. Apparently to Gaspar Noe. When yeah. you say a drug and, ad, do you mean an ad for drugs or against drugs? I would say, <laughs> I would say like an anti-drug ad, like a government ad. Okay. But the right. last shot is kind of, like kind of represents it as like almost 
a transcendent experience. <laughs> like, I don't right. know. There's, I, I don't know. Maybe that was just me who felt that way. For, for, for me, it was just a very, all I got out of what he was actually trying to say with it, which I didn't feel like was very much was this very sort of freeing young culture, this liberated culture of sexually active and diverse groups of people is a very slippery slope to more depraved acts. Uh, let's say maybe involving incest and maybe involving child murder sure. and maybe involving all kinds of other things. So is he like secretly <laughs> in the tea party, like what is what's going on here? That sounds really strange. Well, there's like no actual sex in this too. It's kind of, I, sorry, I, I know we're past time, but we're way past time. You guys really screwed over the, uh, the stopwatch. <laughs> I, I was following the stopwatch. It, <laughs> Anyway, my colleague here. <laughs> I, I wouldn't tell anyone to like totally not watch this movie based on on our indication because there's no one here representing the positives on it. When I know that there are people who sure. have been really getting something out of it, but I got I gotta say like as much as I, I, it's probably the most I've liked one of his movies that I've seen, and I still didn't get a whole lot uh, of depth out of it or anything. So I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I see what other people see in him. <laughs> I'm like that way with uh, Alex Ross Perry. I can I can co-sign that one a little bit. All right, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I also haven't explored much uh, out of disinterest. <laughs> I have seen almost every movie that he's ever made, and what we you, have recorded podcasts and all of them. And you can hear me slowly losing my mind as everyone else says, <laughs> "Oh, it's great! It's wonderful! This is his best yet!" And I'm just like, I don't get it. <laughs> what is wrong with you, fucking people? <laughs> I have not seen Impalex or Golden Exits. Both out of like disinterest and because I don't even know if Golden Exits ever technically got released in America. Um, but we're apparently doing her smell. So hooray that well, I get apparently. To do that. We're doing her smell. Yeah, right. Even though <laughs> Alex Ross Perry's climax, you mean. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. All right. Well, those are uh Michael and Josh's thoughts on Climax, which is out now. So check it out if you feel like you need to. I don't know why you would, given those ringing endorsements we just heard, but it's certainly <laughs> Brent, an option have, that you can pursue. Do you have any feelings about uh, Noe? Have you seen any of his films? Enter the Void. Okay. And then Irreversible is one of those movies that, like, when I first started getting into movies, you know, people were like, the most extreme movies you can see. Sure. Requiem for a Dream. Uh, fucking, I don't know, Saw or something. And like then Endurance the, Test. Yeah. Yeah. And then Irreversible oh, is always on there. And I, was, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, I guess I should watch Irreversible. But then I just never did. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my uh, that's my story. <laughs> that's fine. very cool. Well, I will say for, right off the bat, Zoller, if we're talking about Endurance Test movies, way better than anyone we've mentioned so far. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, um, agreed. And that is an excellent segue into talking about Dragged Across Concrete, the newest film from writer-director S. Craig Zoller. This movie stars Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn as two uh, bigoted cops who are suspended from a police force and decide that they're going to supplement their loss of income by knocking over a criminal of some kind. Concurrently, we follow Tori Kittles as a recently released convict who is trying to get enough money to get his family out of a bad situation. It is out in theaters and on demand now, and here is the trailer. 
But you're losing perspective and compassion. There's a reason I'm sitting behind this desk running things. And you're out there with a partner that's 20 years younger than you. Hey, Anthony's got a mouth with his own engine, but he's solid. I'm thinking about the kind of future I can offer my girlfriend. Pops is a yesterday who ain't worth words. Good heavens and praise be to him. Your absence was a weight upon us. Thank you, Mr. Edmonton. I don't like doing things with so many question marks everywhere. There's a lot of imbeciles out there. All right. That is the trailer for Dragged Across Concrete. So let's talk about it. Um, first of all, we have done podcasts on all of S. Craig Zoller's previous films, uh, Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99. Josh Lewis, first though, why don't you let us know, what's your uh, history with Zoller? What have you thought of his past films? I have loved Zoller uh, pretty wholeheartedly. Uh, I, I got familiar with him around the time that Brawl and Cell Block was coming out. I, had see, I, I saw Bone Tomahawk uh, in 2015, uh, and I was really intrigued by it. Um, I I really liked that he was kind of doing a more sort of like novelistic kind of Western. He has a lot of uh, patience. And then as it sort of makes its way into more sort of Hills Have Eyes cannibal horror with full out uh, torture porn sort of uh, extremity added to it. Uh, I got to say, I was pretty compelled uh, by that from pretty much start to finish. And I kind of like revisited it around the time that I was getting ready to see Brawl at the Toronto International Film Festival. And when I saw it, I got to say, there was like probably about 50 of us critics who all saw it. We were completely flabbergasted by Brawl. There was like across the board, all of us, some of us who are pretty difficult on on films. I'm used to watching it with critics who walk out and they're just like, eh. I've seen like <laughs> 10 other films here that I like more. All of us were, were quite shocked by Brawl. Uh, and especially considering, obviously the the Zoller uh classic Zoller runtime of uh, uh which which is always a downfall at film festivals anytime you see a two and a half hour movie you're like uh uh but uh I gotta say the the kind of uh pace and detail that Zoller puts into his films and the very uh grotesque uh, results in his kind of unflinching attitude towards it and this very sort of brunt and blunt dialogue that he pulls from crime fiction. Uh, it, it's a match made in heaven, uh, especially when it comes to uh, his 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 formal style, which has this really sort of like off kilter, eccentric looking, like wide compositions that he he he, he kind of holds for long periods of time, uh, and he's really patient with. And it's just it's kind of a breath of fresh air, honestly, when you're when you're you're done watching kind of like what what modern mainstream cinema looks like, and you go and watch something that looks like this. Um, I, uh, as someone especially who you know really delves into 70s uh exploitation and stuff it's it's to die for all right so lover of his what about dread cross concrete this is where it's going to get tricky. Dun-dun. I liked Dragged Across Concrete. Uh, I will say that it's probably the least that I've liked Zoller, but that doesn't actually say a whole lot about it because it includes all of the stuff that I like about Zoller. It has everything that I would expect. There's, no, you know, everything that I just praised him for is just as present here, uh, but with one additional element here 
which is S. Craig Zoller, the troll, uh, which you see moments of. And I guess it's making me kind of question and want to go back and revisit some of his other movies to see if because I never read his sort of we talked about the idea of an endurance test. I never read the kind of the squirm inducing uh, tension and eventual explosions of like uncompromising violence as particularly trolly. I always felt them as particular. I wouldn't go as far as to say empathetic uh but i i found them cruel in a way that he understands the pain and i found a lot of this movie as to be more of kind of a joke um in a way that i didn't previously see from zoller and i was kind of you know unexpected to see uh in general and we'd be remiss to mention also the fact that dragged across concrete has come under general fire for its in- inherently kind of reactionary premise of bigoted cops uh and i mean uh i'm not particularly one to write a movie off for that reason i kind of made do with the fact that uh, uh, the idea that this might be a uh, strangely fascist trolley right wing movie before I watched it. And I was like, I could still like a movie that's doing that, uh, especially from someone that I really, really adore as a filmmaker. And I still came out of this movie being like, I don't quite see. I, I felt this was still a little bit more simplistic, even for him when it came to um plotting and dialogue and the overtly political elements that he kind of made its way into this one that were a little bit less present in his previous two features even if there were you know elements of them as there are in sort of uh by trying to re uh sort of bring back uh more let's say regressive genres all right michael snydell yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna co-sign a lot of Josh's thoughts here in the sense that I, you know, this this one just before I can even get into any of the politics, I just don't think this uh, this movie feels as elegant as Zeller's other films in the sense, that in particular, uh, particularly in the dialogue, which to me uh, feels. Uh, Brian, are you banging your head against the? <laughs> That was not the, me. The no. microphone. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, already." <laughs> this podcast but, is over, and I just slap my <laughs> microphone and let it run. <laughs> but no, but what I mean is that I think that the dialogue here has a self consciousness that's kind of always been present, and is still filled with this rich sense of detail and this humor that, especially when it doesn't feel. Uh, PC based, it just has a, a great rhythm, but it, it's the moments that have a lot more gravity here uh, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I, I'll save individual exchanges for spoilers, but I, I will say that there are certainly times where he, where Zoller seems to be uh, poking you in the eye with what he's talking about. And those are less, less a problem or, or less ruin the pacing for me than the way that this handles some of the some of the most dramatic moments and trying to blend that with the humor, which to be clear, like is more vile here. And to like put a pin specific or to uh, 
to relate it specifically to the earlier films, you know, Bone Tomahawk was interesting to me because, you know, I hear a lot of critiques about the troglodytes. And I'm not saying that those critiques don't exist and maybe this is me being unfair, but personally I always saw that as a, you know, an undermining of like the hero complex and just the idea of what we expect in those Westerns. Um, And, you know, and when a hero is going to succeed and when they're not, and similarly in brawl, the, the race stuff, which did become very prominent in terms of the fact of who Vince Vaughn is, is fighting in the late latter parts of the film that felt more incidental and trying to, flesh those things out to me than something that was truly reactionary. So that's where this film becomes so strange to me because I don't feel like I have that easy or I don't think I have a rationalization here. And when you combine that with the other layers, other surface layers that already make this more complicated from Mel Gibson's involvement, who as much as I think he's a fantastic actor, like it's become difficult. Like as much, as much as his career has become an act of, you know, forgiveness since the beaver, uh, it, it becomes something else in this context. And I, I want to talk further about this. And I don't think this is necessarily a bad movie, but it feels like a step back for me. And there are still plenty of moments that I, love from Zoller in particular I think the way Jennifer Carpenter's character comes into this was like a fantastic example of like there's a lot of modern directors who just wouldn't do that when you Mm -hmm. even think about modern action films and and then the other thing separate is the last thing I'm going to say is I want to talk a little bit about uh, glibness in modern action movies and why something like atomic blonde rubs me the wrong way and why this works for me. And, and I think those are all extremely important in trying to understand the sensibility of this and what it's trying to do and whether it is ultimately, you know, trying to serve as a middle finger or whether it's actually trying to uh, simulate some reality. So I loved this film. <laughs> I, That's um, good. I've seen it twice. I, honestly, I probably would have seen it three times already, except that one of the times I went to use the screener, clear wasn't <laughs> working because clear sucks. Um, some inside baseball for the listeners at home. Uh, yeah, so I... I had a, I had like a little bit of like an interior struggle with myself over this movie because it's got Mel Gibson in it. And he's one of those guys who I keep like, I keep wanting to be like, you know, he's got a screwed up dad. He lived a screwed up life. Like, I think maybe he wants to be better than he is, but he just can't be. But like, at what point do you stop giving people chances? But uh, I've got sure. some friends in my life that tell me not verbally, but just through the fact that they're still friends that I'm willing to give people a lot of chances. <laughs> um shout out you know who you are and <laughs> and so you know i i i sat down i was like i'm gonna watch this movie i'm just gonna let it happen and if if it feels gross if it feels weird i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest with myself about that instead i found it to be super interesting in a way that i think 
I think I feel something coming out of Zoller's films that I, I maybe need one or two more to really like be able to say out loud. Um, but they seem to constantly, I'm going to say it out loud anyway. They seem to constantly be about like the system is so much worse than anything that any of these characters are doing. And most of the bad things that they do are enabled by the systems themselves. And in addition to that, I mean, it's just got everything you want from one of his previous works. It's got the dialogue. It's got the pace. I remember in in the effusively positive review that we did for, for Bone Tomahawk on this podcast, I said one of my favorite things about it is that like when the shit finally started hitting the fan, you couldn't tell by the filmmaking. Like everything mm. stayed exactly the same. Like the takes were just as long. The that didn't kick in with some like psycho strings. It didn't, it didn't start get jittery. Right. You know, like it's it's not like they're shaking the camera all around. There was still <laughs> clarity, and that made everything better because you didn't feel safe. It felt a lot more real and you had more time to like figure out what was going on and start either rooting for the heroes or concocting worst case scenarios for what was going to happen to them. And this movie like triples down on that because an entire film's worth of stuff has happened before the final showdown even begins. And then you've still got like 50 minutes to go. And it is... It's just like refreshing as hell to see a movie like this, to like feel the freedom that was given to it, to like not have, I don't know, like the, the sense that like someone just came in, shot out the parts that were important to them and handed everything off to the second unit and was like, all right, finish this for me. Um, and, you know, like the last one we talked about was Transit, which is amazing. But, you know, before that was stuff like Captain Marvel. And we're going to have to talk or I'm going to have to write a review for Dumbo. And like just then Brian, that is your fault. I just want to be clear. <laughs> I need I need the money. Um, so, <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're going to have to talk about Avengers Endgame. And it's just like it's so easy to despair sometimes about what cinema is becoming, <laughs> what they're giving us and ideas that like. The only type of movie that could or the only type of story that you're going to get that's like vaguely pitched towards adults is going to be on TV. But then you see a movie like this and you're like, look, it's like good, mature, thoughtful filmmaking that has like some popcorn crunch to it, but is also just like so damn good. And also, I'm just glad that the OJs are still getting work. So... Yeah, I uh, I love the hell of this movie. I'm I'm totally open to to critiques about it. I hope that we can have a well informed and personable and and <laughs> congenial debate about some of the things about it. No, I'm drawing will... battle lines right now <laughs> over this <laughs> movie that come... I like too. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna come the... egg your house. <laughs> so like, yeah, no, it's not gonna be like um, when Michael you got threatened with a knife on this podcast. <laughs> Shout out to Danielle. Gonna kill Michael one day. Um, <laughs> what was I? I can't even remember what I was gonna say now. Uh, There's something along the lines of um, I I I find it weird. I would love to do like a listicle that's like the five weirdest complaints about an S. Craig Zoller film <laughs> because it feels like people either didn't watch them sometimes or they're just really really eager to find a problem with it. 
like I, I won't get into spoilers quite yet, but if someone said that there was a a scene in this film that functioned as like a right wing screed basically saying that women shouldn't go back to work after having children. And I was like, that's what you're going to do? <laughs> that's your opinion? Oh, my God. So I'm just I, I'm having fun looking at stuff like that because I just can't remember the last filmmaker who had that kind of like hatred leveled against him. And there's something fun about it. And I think that if he wants to see how far he can push that just for the sake of pissing a few people off, I'm sort of OK with it, because at the end of the day, in my personal opinion, even those extra tweaks still feel native and natural to the fabric of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd say I, I'd say I mostly agree. And I, I actually I think it would probably be better for Michael and I to maybe start on maybe the stuff that we did like, because I, I have a feeling the problems that we're going to bring up with the movie that we might have had that maybe let it made it a lower tier Zoller for us it, it is probably better left for some of the spoiler section stuff I, yeah. I would maybe suggest. Uh, but I got to say, I do agree that the pacing here. Love it. I love that Zoller was able to just get even more time. And the fact that he fought against the idea of a two hour movie, because there's there's moments in Zoller movies and a lot of his best moments, honestly, are moments you feel like an exec would look at that and be like, OK, but what is this doing for the plot? Like, mm -hmm. move it forward, like get things moving. Um, this is actually it, a, a great chance for me to plug. I was able to get a 15 minute interview with him. Oh. Um, the audio will be posted, I think, later this weekend. So look forward to that. And um, he addressed that. Like, he gets final cut on all of his films. Um, and in addition, he said when he was first making Bone Tomahawk, people who read the script were like, this is really good, but you know you're going to want to lose, like, all the scenes that happen after the troglodytes take the people because you're going to want those heroes to ride out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, like that's what would usually happen like Liam Neeson would pack his suitcase and go kick ass and he's like but I wanted the scenes of like Chicory going to like see his wife's grave and and all this other stuff because you like you need to like these characters and you need to understand them for anything that matters for anything that happens to matter and I think that's a thing that a lot of movies forget true and and I do think that um one thing I felt a little bit less in this that I did feel in Bone Tomahawk and Brawl is a, a very genuine emotional sensitivity in those moments. Um, I, I felt like I kind of missed that a little bit in, in this one or when it was there, that was when he was doing the more sort of, uh, so I don't want to call them insidious because I don't know. Again, I, I don't think that this is a movie about people with terrible politics. So, as as we talk about it, I think it's it's worth mentioning that I I pretty don't believe that Zoller believes a lot of this stuff, but I do think that Zoller likes poking people in the eyes and is sort of I think responding to uh, critics of maybe Brawl because I know that some people did have some complaints about Brawl specifically sort of like the abortion the, the abortionist in in Brawl yeah. which kind of felt like a a, a kind of bizarre. Uh, or oriental anti-abortion moment uh, there was, in the yeah, film. Yeah, I remember hearing that a lot. It's like, oh, of course, like the villain is an abortionist from another country. And I was like, I mean, the villain's actually the drug dealer. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's well, just... and, and 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 it's it's such kind of an innocuous kind of subplot in Brawl that I didn't pay that much attention to it. It was kind of a joke. Um, and I, I guess... I, I, not to like 
talk about Brawl too much, but I love that character. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, like, when, I guess spoilers for Brawl, but, like, when they have to let her go? And he's, yeah, he's, just, he's in the back of the car and he's like, oh, man, he literally <laughs> says something like that's so disappointing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's a he, very funny moment. Yeah. But I, I no. think I, but I, that brings me to this is not necessarily talking about something bad, but something I want to ask whether you guys felt is that I think that Bone Tomahawk and uh, Brawl are, are so heightened. Like uh, those absurd moments felt totally within the texture of the film while while dragged across concrete i mean in part because you know with the exception of how gratuitous the violence gets like it is a film that feels very uh grounded um pun intended But it's a film that feels very grounded. It's a film that it, that feels that it's not, it, you know, contextualized in a fantasy world. Like, you know, the 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 gloved men <laughs> who come in, like they are, you know, they they are that immortal force, but they're also not. Like, they're also just kind of massive assholes and i i think that's that's the really weird thing about this one to me is like and, and i couldn't help but i can't remember where i read where i read it but it was something along the lines of zowler for a long time has fought back against the idea of genre and his films being exploitation and he's just like they're just drama like there's an extremity to it but they're just drama it's like and brad bird saying he doesn't make kids films he makes animated films <laughs> Which is true. Sure. Like, it's technically true, but like. It, it, it's just, I, I feel like Zoller's being glib a little bit when he doesn't sure. realize that that is not what drama is to the majority of people. I'm sure that this is drama to him. And in some capacity, it's drama to me as well. But like, uh, I think evading classification in that kind of. Uh, right, this is uh, on that kind of technicality is pretty funny. <laughs> it really bugs people too. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> No, but like that, I, I can't help but th- I, I was thinking about that statement watching the film, like because there is a certain sense that this is a drama in a way that the other two films aren't, which is what may in part make the kind of, for lack of a better word, hard racism so much harder to swallow in this, even as it was absolutely peppered throughout like the two previous films. Like, I'm just curious whether you guys also felt this or whether you think I'm potentially misreading. Well, I'm, I, I think was a lot more forgiving of Bone Tomahawk and Brawl, uh, both because I think it was a little bit, it, it, it was not as overt. And, you know, he is bringing back, he, uh, to me, the Bone Tomahawk especially felt like genre commentary. Sure. Like, I, I, I was able to look at that and be like, the Western has a long history of this kind of stuff, and he is taking that to its most grotesque extremes. Absolutely, while, yeah. while also making attempts to write around it. He even includes an indigenous character who Absolutely. comes in and, and, and says, these are some even crazier, primordial, extraterrestrial, you know, whatever. Right, he's like, these like, people yeah. aren't a nation, like, they're they're devils. And, and in... In the in the conception of that movie, the troglodytes are to native peoples what like I guess like the Firefly family is to white people in the South. Like they're not representative. Exactly. Well, and and then when we move on to Brawl, in Brawl, the only sort of moments of overt racism are intentionally uh, 
uh, Vince Vaughn's character Bradley uh, calculatedly using them against sure. uh, people within the prison. Uh, you know, may- maybe by you know calling someone a a a slur for a Mexican person. Yeah. Uh, right before trying to coax them into a fight. Uh, sure. And when, we, when we see Bradley in his downtime. He's he very much doesn't seem to much care for the idea of of being racist or even seems to really harbor a lot of those anxieties himself. He literally like tells his friend whose drugs he is running like because the friend is like it's with you. You end it with an A when you mean it the nice way. Right. Talking about (laughs) the N word. And Bradley says to him, I don't think you're allowed to say it either way. Like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there is a nice way for you to say it. Yeah. I think that there is, and yeah, and and yeah. So it it feels like Zoller was writing intentionally around this mm-hmm. stuff, which which is what leads me to believe that he doesn't harbor a lot of these views himself, um, or at least he was more aware and was intentionally being like, yes, I'm gonna have a prison. Uh, I'm going to, you know, have a prison movie where the prison population is going to be obviously uh, a, a lot more diverse uh, sure. and my guy is going to beat the shit out of them <laughs> and I need to, you know, figure out a way to do this that doesn't come off that way. And I, you could kind of feel that in Brawl, despite the fact that he doesn't let it mess at all with the genre pleasures of the film, mm-hmm. uh, where, whereas here you could feel him in dragged kind of lean into in the opposite direction sure. uh in a way that was it, it felt to me like this was his most overtly political film intentionally but also uh, his most juvenile and also for me yeah I, I felt that some of it anyway was was more juvenile and i honestly kind of expected more of him i was like if you're gonna make them full-blown racist and you're gonna show this stuff like you know, I, I don't need him to like hand slap them or, you know, anything like that. But I, I would have liked it to almost be a little bit uglier or have them questioned a little bit more. You know, we don't need a character there being like, here's why your views are wrong or whatever. But like I was almost just waiting for some kind of other voice in the movie. But even the other characters that he depicts in the film who get a lot less screen time um, are – you know, a lot of the time operating in kind of strange tropes too, specifically the Tori Kittles character. So yeah, yeah I, I kind of had a weird, weird time watching this one where I felt myself kind of deflated by the overt uh, racism and the handling of the subject of pr- police brutality, which is obviously a very racialized issue, uh, d- despite the fact that he very much was intending to do that. Uh, he was intending to provoke people. And I guess my point of view on this is just like, I don't necessarily see what the value of that provocation really was to this story. Uh, because by the time we reach the, you know, final climax of the film, you know, it's a little bit less there. And, uh, I couldn't really figure out how it fit fit into the rest of it. And maybe we'll get into the, when we get into the spoiler section, we'll be able to address that. Cause I have kind of a specific point about how the Mel Gibson character and Tony, uh, uh, Tony Kittle's character end up, uh, parting ways, uh, which I think is what he intended as the sort of, uh, uh, ending to his, his idea of what the, the racism story was doing. And I was kind of baffled by it. I am. I mean, I have I have some opinions that yeah. Again, we'll have to get into in spoilers with regards to what you you, you just really don't want to spoil a Zoller film. I think is the main thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you one hundred percent don't. It's 
not knowing what's going to happen is like the greatest pleasure the first time. And then being aware of it and seeing the way it gets built up to is, is where it's at the second time. Um, I've watched all of his films multiple times and like me too. I I think I've watched brawl four times since I saw it in Toronto. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm at three or four for brawl. And that was, and that was in 2017. So, uh, I've watched it at least twice a year (laughs) since it's come out. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. It has not been out that long. No, (laughs) it's been out less than two years. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, Can I say something else I, I actually like, uh, Brian? I feel like I, we focused a little bit on some of the uh, negative stuff. So I do want to say some things I, I like about it, or at least one thing I wanted to mention, if you don't mind. Go for it. Uh, well, one thing I, I do like is I, I think the reason that some of that racism stuff deflated a little bit for me is because I do think there is some interesting play with with privilege in this. You know, th- there is, as we're talking about, s- similarly to the way that we talked about the scene in uh, Brawl where, you know, he's like, you know, do you say the N word with the A or whatever, like that type of like pedantic conversation. There's some of that in this. And I think it's pretty smart and kind of interesting in here even as i don't think it's taken far enough but it's it's a it's a type of humor and and a type of patter that feels like very recognizably him but doesn't feel like it's punching down in the same way and you know like like i think of some great the sandwich eating scene in in this film like and then his line about the red ant like that is great (laughs) comedy the line about a- well, I mean, we we should mention that I think in general, the fact that half of this movie is a real time stakeout movie oh, it's it, so is, is 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 phenomenal. It's, I now know pe- each of those men's orders <laughs> for every like you know egg salad sandwich. Uh, they want a roast beef on rye bread. You know, yeah, and, and, and I two mean, Dr. Peppers. <laughs> For anyone who's like really enjoyed a heist or a hangout movie, especially you know in the in the Elmore Leonard vein, this is Zoller operating in that realm. So he's trying to make a more fun movie where you are hanging out with despicable people, and that is his intention. Uh, and 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 there are a lot of great moments where that is a, a really it, it is a lot of fun. Um, and I do think that his textbook patience when it comes to uh, this is like a, like a huge sell for that. Like the the procedural stakeout stuff is awesome. And then the finale, which takes the sort of like brutally farcical heist gone wrong uh, moment uh, is just phenomenal. And, and it feels like a Zoller film through and through. So when you, you know, if you're a fan of Zoller films and you're a fan of heist or hangout stories, like I think you're going to get what you asked for with this movie and all of its pleasures that are inherent in that I got out of this movie. Another, another great line just while we're on it is um, Mel Gibson going to the clothing store in the mall. And yes, when the, guy style, goes, yeah. when the guy goes to get Freddie, and he's just standing there and there's the woman who's kind of like awkwardly staring at him. He just points at a suit and he goes, how much is this? I don't see a tag on it. And she says $5,000 and there's a beat. And then he just says, so it's bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, that was good. There's there's a bunch of that stuff. But like, you know, then there's the liver line, for instance. And like, like Josh, I yeah. just I, I don't think I ultimately understand, especially from that last scene, why he does this like even if he wanted to do this he could indulge it with certain characters because he does seem to want to have it both ways with like 
not just making these people flawed, but making them despicable, but also wanting to make them very sympathetic. And like I, well, the guy who says the liver line is not sympathetic. No, 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 no. no. Uh, But Vince Vaughn and uh, Mel Gibson's characters, like they do gross things, but also are meant to be very sympathetic. And like, yes, technically I should applaud that they're nuanced two dimensional characters or two or three dimensional characters. Three dimensional. But (laughs) yes, three dimensional characters. I don't want them to be two dimensional, three dimensional characters. But that by the end, I, I still didn't quite understand why I was meant to, you know, face this gauntlet in how these characters act. And, I and think, I guess, I guess that comes down to, oh. you know, if you like a movie, you don't have to ask why you just watched it. And, you know, like I, I would think that about like Captain Marvel, just like when that movie was over, I was like, but why, why did I just, like, why did I put myself through that? In, yeah, but I think in a way that's like you know if if it it just it all seems pointless to me it's constantly pointless and so drawing any kind of enjoyment from it for me is like enough and I think that these characters personalities are what put them into the position of having to be doing this stuff in the first place right but that also gets kind of removes that of out of like Zoller is intentionally doing this stuff. Like he has written this situation, right? So it, it kind of takes Zoller out of the equation that this is like just a thing that would have these characters would have done or whatever. Uh, and for me, my issue is honestly less with what some of the characters sometimes say and more with the plot based context that Zoller gives you to understand why they believe those things. Sure. Like that to me was more of the issue than in like, I'm totally, again, I went into this movie being like this, the premise of this movie is two brutal reactionary cops. And he is, you know, in the realm of trying to make a, you know, you know, that he, he fancies himself a Don Siegel type. And I, I mean, I like dirty Harry. So I went into this movie being like, this is going to be a movie about brute cops and uh and it's going to be done in in Zoller's particularly ugly uh fashion which i was there for because the same thing w- with with dirty harry the thing that i you know despite sure. the fact that that has overtly fascist overtones to it uh the thing that i think is that eastwood's commanding performance and the sort of brute nature of it as well as don siegel who paints san francisco in all these inky blacks uh and doesn't shy away from um Harry's acts of violence actually ends up counteracting a lot of that messaging because you're left being deeply uncomfortable with Harry. Um, despite, and, and I think that when I went into this movie, that's what I was hoping for from Zoller is I was going to be left really uncomfortable with these characters. What I did not expect was Zoller to say, write an entire scene where Mel Gibson's wife basically repeats a Fox news article uh explaining why they feel that way to me that's that's interesting because that's what we should do spoilers spoilers. (laughs) but that's okay so obliquely i will say every time that a character in this movie makes excuses or tries to contextualize their racial stereotyping and bigotry and prejudice like that's what those people do like because we've entered a modern world where you can't be 
racist like you could in the old days where you're just like, oh, I'm so much better than all those Irishmen and black people and Jews. You know, like you have to start creating more of a narrative. And so when you find someone who's not in the clan and who is like out and about living in their world and is perfectly willing to exist alongside people who they don't like, they will start creating like ideas for themselves as to why, especially in certain contexts, they just don't want to be around these particular ones. Um, and, and like what you said about, you know, her, her whole, her, uh, Mel Gibson's wife's, uh, played by Lori Holden and her whole statement. Like I, I was talking to Michael earlier today. And I was like, I've heard that type of stuff from waiters. Like when I was working in restaurants, like the whole, you know, guy who definitely like always votes Democrat and is pro-choice and like the most liberal person on earth. And he's like, man, yeah, I didn't think I was racist until I started working at a restaurant. But, you know, black people just don't tip. And I'm just I would be like, we work on the Kima boardwalk. No one tips. Like, why are you singling them out? And it's uh, right. But, 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 but even then, he still writes the situation where obviously the daughter is being assaulted regularly by specifically groups of minorities. And it, it, it was the convenience of the plotting to get us to that point where these characters would say these things. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that they would say these things because he draws those lines for you, especially when I mean, we can mention it in the non-spoiler section because it's the opening beats of the movie. I mean, they, they get into hot water in the first place and get suspended without pay because they treat roughly. Uh, and by treat roughly, they, I mean, mostly just kind of like step on a dude's head uh, a little bit rougher than maybe he should have uh, to a, uh, to a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And footage of that is what causes them to get suspended without pay. Uh, and then they obviously, you know, they say how they would react to that, which is all oh, this PC culture, it's bullshit and all of that. And, and, you know, whatever. And, and so the, like the that, entertainment the, industry formerly known as the news yeah. media. <laughs> yeah. And, and like these guys saying that, shouldn't be shocking to anyone and i would like to see it included in a movie but the convenience of that they would get suspended without pay for that minor of a treatment to a drug dealer when the actual subject of police brutality as we know it in the world is like innocent people being shot in the back and those people not being suspended without pay so like it's just like that is a like he he's crafted a convenient plot straw man on this subject okay see i don't find that to be a straw man though i think that's actually like i found i found at once their white collar racism and their their the, the their inciting incident to get suspended to be like really interesting and actually like the opposite of what you would expect from a movie that whose logline is two racist cops get suspended and decide to knock over a criminal. I think that watching that scene, I was waiting for like the beating to happen or like the real, like gross Zoller violence. And I found it kind of remarkable that he kept it to just what we saw. Like we're like they put their boot on a man's, the back of a man's head and broke his nose. And we're here being like, it wasn't even that bad. And I saw other reviewers saying like, it's not that bad, but like, that's not what the cops are supposed to do. And even Don Johnson, who among like in a, in a confederacy of three of them says like, you know, it's not terrible. It's not great. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then when he gets Mel Gibson alone, he shoots straight with him. He's like, you 
didn't need to throw that much cast iron and you didn't used to be this mean like what the hell's going on with you like right but but but, but, but still to me, the bad. idea that like, police brutality being mean means like roughing up a criminal versus like what we know it to be in the world right now which a lot of the time what people are really targeting is like innocent people being shot in the back it's a very different kind of thing to evoke this subject and have and like the response to that would be what these guys have the response to so it's just it's interesting to see that like because i do agree with you i do think that he puts enough plausible deniability in there especially with the don johnson aside where he goes dude like you were rough like as much as like we're joking around and like saying our shit like you did treat that guy roughly and you didn't have to do that to even do your job effectively Mm -hmm. uh like he, he straight out flatly tells him that um so like i do think that zoller is intentionally complicating this stuff minorly but i don't know i i felt like while i was watching the movie those complications didn't sink in as much as the more sympathetic conveniently angled ways that you're supposed to empathize with the characters uh, and, and maybe not empathize as much as like understand reckon i don't with think them. you're supposed to empathize or understand like when i like they should be suspended and everything that they're saying is a bunch of guys who are like, what are you talking about? I didn't shoot him. Like I just broke his nose in the course of already having him subdued. Like they, right. But, but I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are going to be that and be like, well, yeah, that guy was selling drugs to the schools or whatever. That ain't that bad. But that's not a problem of the movie though. I think that's almost what the movie is, is trying to do. Like you're, sitting there watching it and you're like well of course they broke his nose they had to figure out like what was going on but it's like that's not cool that's not good so it's a rorschach test i i (laughs) almost feel like it is like if you come out of that and you're like yeah sorry thank you (laughs) if if you're if you're watching it and you're like like it's it's he only had them do so little in order to get them suspended so they can make these points without like opening the movie with a police shooting like that's a problem because what they did is still something that a cop should be suspended for. Like, sure, but but I, I it's just weird because I feel like the movie doesn't. While I was watching the movie, I I felt like the movie didn't necessarily agree. I felt I f- like, especially when it ramps up into the real evil characters, the eviler bad guys who are going around completely psychotically blowing heads off. Sure. And it, it makes their treatment of a subject look, you know, completely minor. So, like, I, I feel like the the larger text of the movie doesn't really hold through on that. And maybe if his movie did hammer home on that, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting because because I do kind of largely agree with you, but I, I did. It wasn't my experience watching the movie. See, I, and think- I don't and, and I don't know if that is. And, and yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's my fault, not the movie's fault. But I, I have a hard time parsing through that just because of my previous love of him. So I do think that there's something different he's doing here that made me feel that way, especially because I went into this movie again, ready to accept that this was going to be maybe just <laughs> as horrifying as, you know, as Zoller's version of a dirty Harry. Yeah. So t- t- to see, you know, these situations where I-, I felt like he was kind of holding back on the ugliness of these guys so that they looked tame in comparison to but the real criminals out there. I don't think that's I- what I felt to me holds holds held truer to the film for me. To me, that's to me. The, the issue is that, I don't think he's holding back on their ugliness. Like, I don't like 
these these two guys are being actively they're actively choosing to say the things that they're saying and do the things that they're doing and they believe they can do that because they are right to do it Mm -hmm. i would say one is active by the way one is more passive I would say Vince Vaughn's character is more passive. Right. Okay. So Luricetti, who's played by Vince Vaughn, is definitely sure. like, I know how to get in good with my partner. I can throw out these like, and I feel safe to do it. Like he's, I, in my review that I wrote for my personal site, I called him like a frat boy, you know, kind of like a trolley kind of grown up frat boy who's just like, oh yeah, like I can say these things because I'm with these guys and that's the culture. Mm. And um, it almost feels like being around <laughs> Richmond is, is real bad for him. And I wonder what he would be like if he had a better partner. Because, <laughs> um, like, you know, again, Laura said he didn't even do anything to the, the perp that they took down. But the fact that he's there and he's smiling and laughing is is bad. <laughs> it's not, it's yeah. not a good way to be. Um, and so it's that. It's his, <laughs> it's his jovial, you know, camaraderie. And an allowance of letting these things happen that kind of screws him over in this situation. But I think that to look at it and say he's going easy on these guys so that like the bad guys will seem more bad. Like the bad guys are super terrible. I don't think we need like to, to go easy on these guys. And I also think that these guys don't come off well. They they come off very poorly and. I think that, you know, when we get into spoilers, which we should do soon, um, you you can chart a course that's that's saying that they're bad and that every bad thing that happens to them in the movie is because of who they are and what they have done. I do. I, before we get into spoilers, though, I do want to say just talking about how bad the bad guys are. I did find them delightfully puckish in their their monstrosity. I think that there was an Anton uh, sugar uh, feel to, especially that one who sounds like Don Johnson. He's not Don Johnson, so I'm not spoiling anything, but <laughs> did you guys also feel that that one, that one guy who goes to the convenience store sounded like Don Johnson? I, 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 don't, I don't know that I particularly noted that. No, but it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. I really no. thought that was going to be a final twist. <laughs> No, because he's way too thin. Both of these, both of these guys are very thin. Um, yeah, I loved it. the 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 conve- the convenience store one is super weird, just because like he gets everything he wants, and he kind of like half yeah. bored just shoots some other parts of the store. What a dickhead! Right, <laughs> it's it's completely cool. He's killed both the people. He's sure. gotten his money, and then he's just like gonna shoot this milk thing. I'm gonna shoot the TV. <laughs> And fuck these chips. All right, I'm out. It reminded me of that Assault on Precinct 13 uh, scene with uh, the ice cream, uh, with the girl with ice cream. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, that's that's what that scene, and that, that character as well, like, it's even kind of the same type of gun that they have in that movie, too, so. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right, so let's get into Yo. spoilers for Drag Across Concrete. Again, it's out now in theaters and on demand, and I think you should definitely see it. I think you should definitely see it too. I, if you like Zoller's things, I think you should see it. And you should definitely like Zoller's things. Um, <laughs> so, so here we are. We're in the spoilers. Uh, well, I'm just curious. Is it playing at theaters near either of you? It's playing at one theater all weekend for me. No, not, not, not near me at all. I thought it was. 
now I'm curious. I think it's playing at the ArcLight near me. Okay. That's where it's playing near me as, as, as well. So that's inter- I'm wondering if that's the only theater that bought... Uh, I think uh, Alamo, too, is, is doing it. Oh, Alamo. It? Oh, yeah. Well, probably. I could, I could go to, like fandango and see if it's playing near me if you're if you're that interested in it no either way i was just curious because i do feel like brawl had a little bigger rollout you know they seem to slowly be pushing these movies uh cine state sure and then i think lionsgate is is responsible for distribution of this one yes that seems to be the case yes yeah it's playing the arclight bethesda by me ah, yeah i was i was just curious because uh i just wondered whether it had for a bit it looked like they weren't going to do a theater theaters at all um and given the discourse of this week i don't blame them <laughs> <laughs> oh no are you kidding i bet you they love it this is this is probably getting more people to talk about the movie than would have talked about the movie more people i i feel like i've seen an equal number of like talented online film writers writing about dragged across concrete as they are about us. <laughs> yeah. Like I think that Zoller is a, a kind of uh, catalyst filmmaker. People like have an opinion on him sure. and that the more movies he makes, the more his oeuvre grows, the more people are like willing to dig into it. I think it was Scott Tobias over at the ringer had a really great, Piece. Adam Naiman at The Ringer is also very good. Uh, Charles Romesco at The Guardian is uh, is a is a very good review. It's not a, really a piece, but uh, and the, I think there were uh, there's another one I'm forgetting. But Brian Rowan at BrianJRowan.com like, has a really great. Uh, obviously, Brian <laughs> Rowan. I, I would like to see a woman <laughs> about this, which I have not seen, but uh, yeah, those are great pieces, and I highly recommend them. <laughs> So, All right, so we're doing spoilers we are we're in we spoilers are let's now. do this let's spoil the shit out of it what can we spoil what's the fastest thing we can spoil <laughs> fucking mel gibson dies so does oh. <laughs> and a treasure of sierra madre style <laughs> ending uh it's a Jennifer sequel Carpenter to unbreakable getting her head completely blown off in the middle of a bank oh my god <laughs> All right, Brian, what, what are you holding, holding the baby shoe <laughs> of what, her newborn child? First of all, it's not a shoe. It's a booty. <laughs> oh, a booty. Oh, my God. As the only per Josh, you don't have a baby, right? No, I don't have a baby. As the only person on this podcast <laughs> with a child, I am the only one who is allowed to speak. Uh, Michael, did you have a specific question for me about that? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just don't think Jennifer Carpenter is a good actor. <laughs> And that scene actually is really interesting, and and then that thing happens, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I, I when I the first time I watched this movie, I was like, "That seems a lot more mean than he usually does." Like that was like he does things to characters, but it seemed fucked yeah. up to introduce this woman so that you can blow her head apart with gunfire. Um. The second time watching it, I actually sort of I felt better about it. First of all, before I before I knew what was going to happen to her. So the first time I watched it, I was like, you know, oh, is she like a part of the heist? Like what's going on? And when she goes home and is like crying and talking about how she doesn't want to go back to work because she had a baby 
And, you know, her husband's like, your job makes more money than mine. Like our child needs diapers and stuff. You have to go to work. I was like, this is actually like a really well-observed scene because I remember my wife having a lot of trouble going back to work and other women that I know who have had children, you know, even if they, even if they love their jobs still are like, I can't leave like my baby needs me. And I'm pretty sure my wife was positive that I was going to kill our daughter accidentally when she left um, because we are not socialized to believe that men can be caregivers. And so watching that scene, I was like, isn't this super interesting that they are giving this much time to this relationship and like really like putting that in a kind of reversal? And then she goes and gets murdered. And that sucks because I really... I really liked everything that happened there and I wanted her to be able to go see her child again. Um, but then I was like, you know, what's crazy though is I just saw four other people get murdered by these assholes and I have, and I was kind of like giggling along with like what happened to them. And each of those people had a life and maybe it wasn't as like adorable and fulfilling as Jennifer Carpenter's child and like her husband and everything. But like, they're still dead. And because these two guys decided to knock over this, this heist, she's gone. And her, her manager now has no testicles. And apparently four other people were murdered too. And they took a hostage. And, you know, Loricetti is like, this is on us. Like we made these choices and this is happening now. And Ridgeman is like, I don't give a shit. I'm still getting that money. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like around around that point in the movie is where the movie kind of like soars for me. Um, like 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 once we get the moving pieces out of the way and we've decided that Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn are just doing this. Mm-hmm. From then on, I I honestly kind of really got in the zone with the movie and and was able to groove and get on its wavelength the way I do a usual Zoller movie. Um, and I I would say that. I guess the one thing that I missed and it's it's this is definitely my fault and not Zoller's fault was just that I did miss like actually caring about some of the people who were going on this journey. But I know that that's not the movie he's making here. Uh, You didn't care about Henry Johns? Not not a whole lot. Honestly, I I feel like he doesn't he didn't get enough scenes. He's introduced at the very beginning of the movie with 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 uh with a prostitute and then going going home uh to who we knew in middle school son. like yes that that, that conversation is pretty great honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and, and, I, and i will say that I, I liked a lot of the scenes that that he has before things kind of get started and and even his friendship with uh with michael j white uh like i i felt Just that get- there was that he's gesturing towards some stuff here but he doesn't give them the same amount of time or patience that he gives to uh gibson and vaughn who to me were kind of just less compelling characters to sit with despite the fact that like you know they they can be fun uh but to me i didn't get the same i didn't get the same thing out of it as i got out of even watching them all band together in bone in bone tomahawk where there's so many different kinds of people hanging out and watching them Mm -hmm. bounce off each other i mean you have russell uh kurt russell obviously but you also have richard jenkins who is just the sweetest old man in the world uh and then you also have matthew fox who is kind of more of sort of like the 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 brutish modern cowboy uh so you know like i kind of got 
I felt like while I was going, all of these scenes were really You're really going to do Patrick Wilson shows. like that? You're not even going to mention it? <laughs> yes, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Uh, but, but even, funny enough, Vince Vaughn in Brawl and Cell Block 99, I think his performance is great. And here I was kind of just like a little bit less like, I'm a little bit less intrigued by you. Uh, and I wasn't sure if that was just my previous attitudes about, you know, towards these characters in general, but I also feel like, again, he's intentionally making you realize that you're, these are despicable people that you're not really crazy about. So I don't know. Uh, I definitely though found myself on a scene by scene construction level, uh, as he's walking you through these kind of, you know, these, these, uh, familiar sequences that you would get in a heist or a hangout movie, uh, really compelling to watch. And obviously Zoller's, you know, sense of, 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 of detail and, uh, his, his very sort of like, kind of like restrained tran tranquil style, uh, as he walks you all through it. So like around that time, all the way until the final heist con wrong, I was pretty with this movie. See, I am. Um, I found it interesting. The people that I cared about most in this movie are the people who are depending on these men. Um, they're the ones who I find the most sympathetic. But I think uh, Tori Kittles does a lot with his character, and like you know, he is our in into the movie. We spent a long time with him, and I, I really dug his character and the the mechanics of the movie kind of not letting you in on what is happening, like what the plan is with this uh this this armored truck and these weird gun wielding sociopaths like kind of requires him to be on the sideline and i did right. like because, how, because that's how you get those great stakeout scenes <laughs> yeah um and and just the curiosity of like what is going to happen here like i didn't know what the fuck was happening i was like <sighs> all right yeah they're going to they're going to knock over a, a drug dealer or something or and then like are the are are our biscuit and henry like also knocking over the drug dealers oh no they're their drivers oh it's not a drug deal it's a horrifying bank heist um and so yeah that was that was super interesting for me and i like the way that the the shift to um biscuit and john being like the focus of the post bank robbery but pre concrete dragging uh that scene of them talking about like the birthday party yeah is just so good it's so goddamn good it's it, there's so much there in terms of like their characters and helping you to understand who they are and their history and it's just oh, it's it's so great and just the way that it also is like a way for henry to like tell his friend like it's gonna be okay like we're on this like we've always had each other's backs and we're gonna right now too um yeah i i dug the hell out of that and yeah i feel like i'm talking too much michael thoughts <laughs> no i yeah i don't know i i'm i'm in the the middle of both of you and, and now i'm almost feeling like i i less that i like this less on a construction level than josh even i i <laughs> i no i don't know it's it, it's this movie kept losing me and pulling me back in, honestly. Like when it comes to those those patient sequences and I swear him and his regular – now regular cinematography or cinematographer uh, Benji Bakshi, like those wide, uh, those wide angles and just the way – just the – the blocking that, that Zoller does in this film is just like – 
I, I'm just consistently impressed in how he is constantly knows where to take your eye. I, and it, it gives a lot of these potentially like flat sequences, just a real, uh, a real pop. Like even when you think about like the actual architecture of the bank, the whole bank scene with, with the van covering the door, like that whole room could very easily feel like a set. And just the way that it cross cuts between, uh, what's happening in the bank as well as, uh, Vaughn and Gibson in the car, like, it's those things that just remind me of the craft of this. And, and I think it's really interesting. You know, we've already talked a lot about his relation to exploitation films and genre films, but like, you know, there are a lot of like direct to video stuff. Like Braven was one of my favorite movies last year. Uh, a Jason Momoa vehicle in the snow. That's a hell of a lot of fun. But let me tell you, like those types of movies, even when they get marquee stars, they just don't look this good. They don't feel like there's this much care in dialogue mm-hmm. scenes. It doesn't feel – it just doesn't feel often like uh, you're watching a full movie. And I think that's, weirdly enough, what gives me a pause with a lot of these characters is just that that the drama – that they invest in the drama so much that I can't lose myself in the pulp. Like I, I have to – like these characters to an extent. And, and that's why things like the misogyny in, in this one and the racism, like they hit on a level that it's not, it's not like, Oh, you really got me, but, but rather this feels wrong. Like, but not, not in a way I wanted it to feel, if that makes sense. Like I, I'm fine with films making me uncomfortable, but there's something about the gratuitousness in this that has been there in the other films, but in here simultaneously, uh, like I, it makes these characters feel more hollow, even as the drama is. <sighs> I'm confused, and maybe this will help you to organize your sure. thoughts. You think this movie—they're arranged. <laughs> looks too good, is made no. too well. No, no, and I'm not. I'm not just saying right. it's. It's All looked. Right. It. It is so well made. Let me put it this way: it is so well made, and it looks so good that it keeps you from enjoying it on the pulp level. That would allow you to be okay with it having even more over the top gross misogyny and racism i think he's getting more at the idea that he he was he likes the craft so much and he sees that zoller is a really intelligent filmmaker Mm -hmm. and that to me what what i figured was that it was kind of like that makes it harder to swallow things that zoller seems to lose grasp on because he's such a deliberate otherwise surgical filmmaker that to to throw things out in the air that feel like he's doing it because of the kind of unhinged provocation it's destined to unleash feels like it, it it's not in the same realm as as this okay cuz what i was hearing was it, like if this were printed on flimsier paper i would <laughs> be okay with this story being the way it is well i think there is some i think he just many kind of expects more of it because of that I, I think, yeah, I think it is that. And I think it's those things then that 
feel all the more lazy to me. I, I already alluded to the liver sequence. And, and I think that there are a dozen lines in here that, you know, like, you know, it, it's weird. Cause I guess like something, even if we want to go to uh, the next tier uh, of things where I'm thinking of where there was some like weird racism, sexism was like the nice guys, um, you, you know, from Shane Black, who's someone as well, who has a very complicated history with uh, kind of um, pulp material, right? Yes. With pulp material as well as just political correctness, honestly. Like, so it's, it's fascinating and, and very frustrating to me that, this film doesn't really find that combination and, and, and yeah. I, and it is in essence, like I, I hate to pull like again, one scene to, uh, to represent my feelings towards the film. But that Jennifer Carpenter thing is, is one thing I can't help but keep going back to is just the way that it builds that character in such a impressive, surprising way. And then, just mows them down in the most like gratuitous. I mean, it's very similar to the end of brawl, honestly, like where doesn't he get shot? And then yeah, his his head, his head straight up explodes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It it gets gets, like caved in by the shell. Yeah. And that was fascinating too. Cause that was like, you really felt the emotion at the end of that movie. And then something horrifying and hilarious happens well and and weirdly enough i think what's also interesting about brawl in that case is that there's shades of almost a little bit of relief because you spent so much time with with uh uh vince vaughn's character in these really as you know he's made his descent into just grimier and worse locations yeah yeah you're just happy that he's not gonna have to live with that Yeah. So by the time you get to the end and you know, and, and because again, brawl acts so much like a kind of like point of view procedural of him making his way through the prisons and the intricacies of both getting into prison his first time, which is an amazing sequence where he just like, Oh yeah. Actually just gets brought in and he's like, wow, this is kind of really boring. The ring (laughs) Uh, and everything. And and they have the guy who plays the, uh, the manager of the bank. Yes. Is the guy who's like doing the intake stuff and he's like, I am not a metallurgical expert, Mr. Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So it did. Again, I I feel like that, that, that patience really, really pays off when you get to that finale because you, you've just spent so much horrible time uh, with Vince Vaughn that you're kind of like, you know, he, he got his wife and kids safe. And that's all you really plan to do. And, and you really feel for him because obviously they set up a lot of really emotionally sensitive scenes between him and his wife. I mean, to me, if you're going to introduce someone to Zoller, uh, one of the scenes you're going to do it is the the car smashing scene followed by sure. his yes. rage induced violence. Very subtly transitioning into quietly and politely rekindling his marriage uh, yeah. just with Such bloody great- fists sitting there on the couch. Just amazing. Uh, like, like, that whole scene that, that is amazing is, is subversion amazing. by Zoller of what would otherwise be an you know what you would expect of a sort of like trailer trash domestic abuser, right? Like, yeah. like, like, like that's what he's hinting towards, and then telling you, no, look, this is there's more shading of emotional complexity happening here, and that is what even honestly for me in Zoller movies makes the violence sing when it finally does sort of get Absolutely. unleashed on you. Um, so and and for some reason, 
I, you know, I, I might just have to maybe have a few more viewings with Dragged Across Concrete because I'm I'm not opposed to, you know, maybe getting more out of it on, on on future viewings. But this was the first time watching it where I didn't my first viewing of a Zoller movie didn't give me those same feelings and same impressions. And I think part of it is the fact that he is coming at this as more of a gleefully responding to maybe his own critics. But it, uh, but it is, but it is interesting. Or I'm gonna fuck stop fucking saying it. interesting. I, I, I think like Brian. Um, <laughs> I think like Brian. I I do think that the gleefulness is kind of contained. It's kind of compartmentalized to you know the fucking assholes in the van. Like it, like there is a pretty serious dramatic core to even like the steakhouse, the or not steakhouse <laughs> to the steakouts that they have. And the yeah, nice prime rib in the it, middle. Exactly. That egg sandwich. That is, <laughs> but, I, but yeah, like I think then the problem is like what you were kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, Josh. And I want to talk about this right now is what we should make of this ending because this ending does in some way feel like a swerve to what i thought the film was actually interested in like i i i think it's it's very odd that it ends with him in in a mansion in the way it does and then yeah sorry the, the last two scenes i guess are him in the mansion with his mom and then him sending the money to Lori Holden's character, and then him playing video games with his son. And that's his little brother. Oh, wait, that's his brother, yeah. Oh, yeah, his, his little brother. brother. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, and that felt incongruent with the entire movie as a whole in a way that I'm still not sure what, why. Like, I, I think – Well, for me – I don't know. Just to just to dive into it, I mean, to, sure. to lead up to the ending, I mean, Vince Vaughn's – Girlfriend rejects his marriage proposal and then he dies. <laughs> and uh, Richmond. That fucking sucks, dude. That, that was the one time yeah. I actually felt something for Vince Vaughn's character. Yeah. Because, because I, I, I did kind of like that he was the more passive character. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't mm-hmm. get a whole lot of scenes other than the subplot with his girlfriend, which, uh, which I didn't get a whole lot out of. But that scene where, again, I did get shades of brawl finally in that in the actual shootout when he tries to make the call or he pulls out the voicemail or whatever. Yeah. And he's just like, wasn't the answer I was hoping for. And it's you feel sad for him. And then he <laughs> and it's right after he was just tricked, uh, obviously, by by the hostage that the the, the criminals let go uh, so that she could shoot the cops. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the, that moment where he's just like, you know what? None of this is really working out quite how I expected. <laughs> and I don't know why I really came along with you. Uh, and I'm going to die. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, if you want to look at this as like a semi morality play, like that's his, that's his sentence. That's his, his judgment right. is the woman that you were with probably like was just in with you because of like some kind of stasis. And, you know, when she saw that you wanted to make a life with her, she's like, no, no fucking way. I'm not going to marry this guy <laughs> who just got suspended again from the police force. For and brutality, yeah. And he's dead. And then uh, Ridgman could have gotten off, 
you know, vaguely unscathed with 40% of the gold. But because he wouldn't trust this guy, he ends up dead. And his wife just gets like a tiny little cigar box full, which is yeah, still... See like, see, like, that's what I was alluding to, because I thought that that was really interesting when we get to the bit with when 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 Mel Gibson and uh, Tori Kittles finally kind of like meet face to face and these two forces hit. Yeah. And you're kind of... Great conversation between them. Yeah, it, it, it's really awesome as they, they both kind of maneuver their own interests because they both need it. Uh, but at the same time, you know that this confrontation isn't necessarily because you know both these characters' histories, and you're definitely on more on the Tory Kittle side. And the fact that Tory Kittles is so like willing to just you know let Mel Gibson also you know share in 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 the riches, uh, but Mel Gibson just can't trust him, and that ends up being his downfall. Is right. that he, obviously he, Mel Gibson's racism actually results in a worse? Uh, situation for for himself <laughs> and for his family i think that's the most important part tory kittles you know henry johns still gives money to mel gibson's family he is still like he never ha- he doesn't have to do that he doesn't have to do anything for anyone but he does because he's he's a good and honorable man and and mel gibson said the thing about his daughter getting like harassed and sure and tory kittles doesn't want that for anyone like he he wants things to work out um clearly he's going to keep more for himself and 11 months later he seems to be doing very well he's got a broker he's got this nice house his mom's getting a massage um i love the fact that he's like you want sushi like you know they've clearly gone up in the world and she's like no like let me cook you something homemade and he's like actually yeah that'd be really nice like it's not just about the money it's about having like a safe and stable environment and <laughs> And after everything that he's gone through, he now feels like, I want to hunt some fucking lions in this video game. (laughs) (laughs) Which then launches into the OJ's stellar song, Shotgun Safari. (laughs) I'm just saying, I really want a supercut of video games in movies. Like, fake video games in movies. Or, like, video games that are not labeled. Like, Al has a bizarre one. Uh, Grandma's Boy has a bizarre one. Aren't those both movies about making video games? They are. <laughs> I can think of other ones. <laughs> well, also a, a bizarre detail that their controllers aren't on while they're playing. I was like, Zoller, <laughs> come on, dude. I have a PlayStation. Like, I know what it looks like when people are playing with PlayStation controllers. I was watching. Like, controllers were those. I have no idea what they controllers were. They, they looked were, like they some th- third-party stuff. <laughs> <laughs> really? They, they, they looked like PS4 controllers to me. Uh, really? Because I thought they I were, thought like, they were playing an Xbox. i okay so like when when they show like the big shot of the the video game room most of those cases are green they are yeah are they really well then they so hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna pull this up right now so you guys can talk about something else but i'm gonna pull this up and i'm gonna double check what those controllers okay fantastic because i was Um, watching it and i was like oh yeah those are definitely playstation controllers they look like the controllers that i have i just I will and say, I, but I, I didn't take note of any other details about that scene. So, <laughs> in addition to fake video games, I'm I'm watching The Sopranos, and I think it's the second episode of the first season. Tony comes home and sees his son playing uh, Mario Kart. Mario Kart, yeah. And they sit down to play, and like after the game, his son like leans forward and hits the reset button, but it doesn't reset the whole game. It resets their race. We won. <laughs> It's it's one of those things where it's like we we need to show that he's restarting the race, but we can't just have him like 
click the button because that's not, I guess, cinematic enough. So they have him lean forward and slap the console to restart it. It's just one of those things that, like, sometimes movies don't give a shit about reality because they know that only idiots like us will care. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm looking at it right now. 100% PlayStation 4 controller. But the the things are green, right? The boxes are uh, green. Let me let, let me let me take a look. I'll have to go to the ending because I was looking at the scene uh, when they're playing uh, in uh, in his room. In his room, yeah. But before before he gets the big old mansion, this is how. Okay, so this is how crazy. Oh, do you know what? Okay, look at his his collection of video games. I don't know why we're expanding upon this so much, but uh, his collection of video games includes Xbox Green Games and PlayStation Blue oh, games. Oh, they're good enough to get both of them now. I'm yeah, not even he, that rich. He also looks like he might have Nintendo Switch games, so he's he's just a full-out gamer. That's all. Well, yeah, he wants to make oh, games boy. when he grows up. Th- this, is a, this is a hint about Zeller's next film. This is like the Pixar thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna so our next our next spinoff podcast is gonna be one minute of dragon cross concrete that would be so annoying because people would not be able to finish a scene <laughs> they wouldn't even be able to finish like one no. static dialogue shot oh man i think i'm gonna do that um what was i gonna say so we keep wondering how our podcasts end up so long <laughs> and yet here we are uh yes so uh Lori holden gets some money thanks her husband and then we go back and he's like i want to hunt some fucking lions um i this is how like deep my brain goes because shotgun safari the name of the game that with the the hunting of the lions looks pretty shitty it looks <laughs> Like, it looks like a Cabela game. It, I was about to say it looks ten years old, and but then but the 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 spaceship game he's playing looks to my eyes to be fairly recentish. So sure. there was a part of me that almost wonders like, is Shotgun Safari like the uh, knockoff Cabela game that they got for like three bucks out of a bin somewhere that he is discarded because now he can afford cool video games, but his his dad remembers. Or not his dad. His brother remembers like <laughs> playing with him right before everything went crazy, and he like remembers saying like I don't think I can play this game. Like I don't have a shotgun. I can't kill these lions. I'm gonna get murdered. And now he's like, you know what? I want to do it. Like I want to. I want to remember that moment and I want to like relive it and feel the certainty that I now have because I'm the guy who got out of all that alive. There's definitely an element to it of I want to put things on pause, make sure this is ready for me, and then all that he's handled all of the shit, and now he's like, okay, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> that he had to like enter into another headspace sure. uh, uh, to to go about uh, the the heist, which I mean maybe could have been our indication that the heist was pretty gruesome from the beginning. Although he swears that they weren't going to kill anybody, but right, I mean, th- those, th- th- those dudes look like they were going to kill people. I don't Gibson know. And asks like, you know, did you believe that? Or did you want to believe that? Yeah. And I exactly. think that that's part of like, part of it is, I think that he, I, I think it's hard to say whether he believed it or wanted to believe it, but I think he, it's one of those two. And I think that no matter what, he was really hoping that no one would get hurt. Yeah, he seems like that kind of character anyway. In fact, uh, brief b- b- brief detail that we should mention that I, I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Tori Kittles and Michael J. White doing whiteface. 
Yes, I was just uh, about to mention this. <laughs> yeah, which 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 Adam Naiman I think specifically mentioned, but I also had this exact thought while watching the film. It reminded me of the reverse of Good Time. Yeah, where where they put on uh uh not blackface specifically, but they put on uh, masks, masks to make them look like African Americans yes. when they do the robbery, so they can pull the masks off when mm-hmm. they run out, so that you know they they are specifically preying on you know, uh, racial stereotyping, uh, by police in order to make their heist safer, which is just obviously a genius bit in, in, when it's used in good time. And and in here, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of used for almost like bizarro horror image. Well, I was going to say it, 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 it's, it's funny that you should bring up like good time. Like the police are going to expect it to be some African-Americans. So they wear the masks. Cause in this, it's like, well, it's just a white guy who works for the security company. Clearly, he sure. knows what he's talking about. So when he yeah. says the bank will be open in 15 minutes, I'm going to go and I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it is it's playing off of that same thing. I do want to say also that um, Henry Johns is so cool and collected and, and almost unflappable through the whole movie. And the one time that he gets flapped is when he shoots Mel Gibson and realizes that he's killed him. He is like deeply upset with himself and with Mel Gibson. Like he did not want that to happen. He got out of that whole situation clean. And because this, except for Michael J. White's horrible death, of course. Right. But he didn't kill him. You know what I mean? Like he was, he came out with a clean conscience. Right. (laughs) And he tried to save his friend and that didn't work. But like, you know, he, he, he did all the best he could to just, be cool and, and get on with it. But like Mel Gibson, you know, had to, had to it, go man. and fuck things up. Like he, he is at once angry, but also you can hear the change in the tone of his voice and you can see the change in his face. Like he is legitimately shocked and upset that that's what had to happen. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think, think it's an, I think it's an interesting moment. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it that, that one, that that's one of the moments that like sealed this movie for me. I was like, yeah, he's not even angry. He's like, it, it, clearly there's some anger there, but he's more like, like, God damn it. Like, I can't believe it. I can't, like, I was so close. And yeah. Well, well, what, what, what does he say? It's something along the lines of like, why'd you have to do that? Like, yeah. like I, I, like I, I wasn't going to betray you. Like, yeah. Like you just trusted me. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So I'm sorry. I'm, st- I'm now thinking about the scene where he takes a cigarette out and then Mel Gibson takes a cigarette out across the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember what Vince Vaughn, he says like something like, oh, that looks like a good cigarette. Oh, no, he says this guy's a smoking commercial. This guy's, yes. And then <laughs> Mel Gibson <that's- laughs> pulls out Thank a you, cigarette. Brad. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. As the guy who's seen this movie twice, I can <laughs> remember most of the lines. Yeah, do you know, I I think I think you've convinced me. I think I'm going to have to give it another watch. Yeah, I think I think I think that almost always that is helpful. I uh, as a preview of our next uh podcast which will be out Sunday or Monday, we're going to be talking about us. That's a movie that I wish I could see twice before I had to talk about. Oh my about god, it. yeah, I just saw it last night and I got to say my immediate uh impression was uh I need to see it one more time first. <laughs> <laughs> I had to write a review for it for the film stage, and I was like, "Well, what the fuck am I supposed to do now?" <laughs> yeah, um, very much looking forward to talking about that. Uh, was more excited to talk about this one, I think, just because I am more certain of my feelings on this one. 
And, uh, I really liked it. And I think, um, I think that there's a lot there. I think in this movie in particular, I think you can watch it as just like a fun character study. I think that it does, it can operate as kind of a morality play. You know, it's, I don't think that it's any kind of surprise that Henry Johns is the only guy who gets out and he gets out clean. Yeah, sort of with one minor thing that wasn't his fault. He gets all the money and he's he's clearly yeah. invested it. So it's not like he has to pull it out of a shoebox. Like, right. Well, yeah, I, I just mean we were talking about the fact that he was really upset that he didn't. He had to kill someone. Yeah. He had to kill someone. <laughs> his hands aren't clean. His conscience isn't clean. But his record's no dirtier than it was at the beginning of the movie. I can't oh, believe yeah. we're, we're going to get a Park Chan-wook, a, a Craig Zoller written, Matthew McConaughey uh, starring period film <laughs> i don't even know what matthew mcconaughey is going to sound like reading out as <laughs> craig zoller lines that doesn't i can't even i literally can't imagine it i wow. mean yeah. i think that true detective was a decent primer for that yeah i guess so pizzolato i guess has has a similar kind of like hard-boiled edge to him i think Zoller's uh, better but oh absolutely Jeez. without question what are you talking about I, <laughs> I knew it was gonna be a deeply uh controversial thing that i said i didn't realize that just the feeling the need to say it was gonna be the controversy um i think it oh the, yeah speaking of tori kittle's true detective season one yeah i oh. saw i don't remember that at all yeah i don't remember that either actually he's he's papania isn't he he's He's one of the guys who's interviewing the the true detectives. Mm, I don't know about that. What do you mean you don't know about that? I'm telling you who he was. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. They're the two guys who are literally right, interviewing really, Hart and Cole. Really, really, really important characters we spend a lot of time with. Yeah. They're in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trusting you in this highest brand. <laughs> what the shit is going on <laughs> well I, I was gonna say you mean like in every episode in that like you maybe hear their voice off screen in the main shot of matthew mcconaughey as he walks you through his flashbacks there's that but they they cut to their reactions and like you learn about them and they're the ones who like they start grilling him on everything like the for, when, okay, I just watched the first season of True Detective again two weeks ago. Why? When was the last okay. time either of okay. you did it? Well then, well, well, then you can't blame us then. <laughs> I haven't seen it in like three years, I don't think. All right. Well, trust me, if you rewatch it again, you'd realize that he's in there a lot more than you're giving it. Good. Thank you. <laughs> well, I got to say, no matter what, Zoller has got it on Pizzolatto when it comes to this kind of like barbarous, leathery pulp stuff. Uh, and I and I would watch a S. Craig Zoller season of True Detective way faster than I would watch another Pizzolatto season, which I just did watch season three. And I, I 100% dragged gets my recommendation first, even if uh, my first uh, watch was a little thorny. I, I mean, yeah. prefer the thorniness. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, also, you know, you can watch dragged like three times and you still want to spend as much time as on True Detective. So. You converted Josh, Brian. I was on the level with him, and you just had to convert him. <laughs> I'm getting weirdly good at like making people agree with me about how things are good. 
Well, here's the thing. It didn't need much convincing because I was already on the aim of I, I really liked this movie. It was just I didn't like it as much as like the transcendent experience of Brawl. So right. like that's and, that, that's not that's not saying much uh, from my from my end. And I, <laughs> I honestly I don't know which I would put first. I think it like might be Brawl. Maybe like sometimes it'd be Bone Tomahawk because Bone Tomahawk, I think, still has like the best cast of any of his films just Richard Jenkins is so good in Bone Tomahawk yeah like but that's the thing is like I I don't know like he like Vince Vaughn is fucking fantastic in Brawl and I wouldn't want to swap out anyone in that movie with anyone who's like even bigger or more famous and I feel the same about this movie like I think like this movie is worth it just for like watching Tori Kittles do his thing alone. And then you add in Vince Vaughn who is sidelined in this movie in a way that I think surprised me coming off of brawl. Um, this is definitely much more Ridgeman and Kittles movie than, than, uh, than Luricetti's. Um, but yeah, I mean like it's, it's great. I'm just always curious. Like what, I wonder who's going to be in his next one. Like what's the next one going to be about? Cause he's definitely a, an artist spacey (laughs) (laughs) oh jesus well okay to be fair i i think paul schrader has already made the argument for kevin spacey right so like maybe maybe paul schrader will do it first i think i think if someone were to play kevin spacey it would probably be paul schrader um (laughs) oh please don't do that paul (laughs) (laughs) he did win best problematic fave in the stages so he did he did <laughs> my booze sodden memory serves me right no no one will ever stop the man from posting don't even try <laughs> he's I, um, all of our uncles on <laughs> facebook really your <sighs> facebook oh oh okay i thought we were talking about kevin spacey again i was about to say michael do you need to talk to a therapist oh boy all right, so I think we're done. Okay. <laughs> S. Craig Zoller's new film is out in limited release now. You can also watch it online. And uh, yeah, we all we all say that you should see it too. Very degrees. Yeah, I, I would say ignore how negative I sound on the movie because even in my own review that I ended up writing, I I had to say this sounds more negative than I ultimately was because like the caveat of me being like I had a couple flaws with some of the scenes was that (laughs) this has everything that you would love about a Zoller movie still intact. So, you know, your mileage will, will vary. And I, it's like, it's the best burger I ever had. They put pickles on it. You can pick those pickles off. The burger's still fine. (laughs) Like, you know, is this burger racist? Cause I don't know if I want a racist burger. (laughs) First of all, the burger's not racist. The pickles are racist. (laughs) Uh, I feel comfortable saying this is a person who hates pickles and racism. Um, so, so, so doubly for racist pickles, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I don't <laughs> even want to be in the same room as those. <laughs> no, no question. What the fuck is happening? I don't know. <laughs> I tried to end it and then we just kept going, which is something that weirdly happens way too often on this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> here we are. Uh, ending this ending this now so dragged across concrete as i said limited release online check it out we all liked it um before we sign off uh remember that to look out for both my audio interview with s craig zoller which has some insights into his uh his process and and uh his writing of this film and his casting of this film as well you ask him about the racism 
I did not. I had so many questions about the racism. I only had 15 <laughs> minutes. And at the end of it, I was like, son of a bitch, it's over. And I was only able to slip past the PR person one final question. And that was, in one word, how great is it working with the OJs? <laughs> and, and what was the word? Um, he actually gave me many words. He said it was oh. of all the dreams that he had that he never thought would come true and that are it working with the OJs is one of them. I, I, I love their tunes, especially the ones that they did in Brawl as well. Yeah. Um, that's why some, I played Love Train. Tracks. That's why I played Love Train at the front of this because I was like, remember the OJs? They're back. Anyway, um, also, we will be recording our feature podcast review of Us, the new film by Jordan Peele. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Also, you said feature podcast, and I was like, really? Are we just now going to do a two-hour podcast? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, that will be on the podcast feature feed. Link. You guys are going to have a wild spoiler section on that one, that's for sure. <laughs> the entire fucking thing is going to have to be a spoiler section. Let's be real. Yeah. I, that will I, be I, one of those I movies. Wrote, like literally one blurb, and I didn't feel comfortable not putting the spoiler tag on it. <laughs> Writing a, I couldn't an figure entire... out a way to word it. Writing an entire nearly thousand word review was difficult. Difficult. Spoiler free? Difficult. Yeah, it was spoiler free. God damn. I think, you know, someone's going to yell at me, but that's just I don't just even know how much you can say about it. <laughs> Did that trailer spoil any? You know what? Actually, don't tell me. Don't tell not, me. <laughs> no, not really, honestly. Michael, have you Good. seen it yet? Uh, Tomorrow. Oh, okay. You, you, you'll spend the first like half hour, 40 minutes being like, oh man, the trailer spoiled too much. And then you'll spend the back half being like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> between that and twilight zone i'm very interested in what jordan peele is putting out there lately yeah too bad i'll never see the twilight zone because i'm not getting cbs all access um <coughs> you should still trying fights. to wrap up this podcast yeah end it end it uh, also don't forget to check me out on the b side where i talked about colin farrell that is also on this podcast feed now <laughs> It's over. Uh, movie is a place that you can go to see some great movies. We talked about their uh, investigation of communism in Hollywood. Don't forget also that Queen of Earth is on there. Isn't that right, Michael? Yep. Oh, no, it's not. It's off now. It's not you watched anymore. it on the last I, day. I did. Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to warn you. Um, there's a lot of other great stuff on there. Remember there, what is an auteur series is happening with Abel Ferreira's 444 last day on earth and King of New York, as well as Ida Lupino's the bigamist. So check it out. Go to mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30 day trial. Also don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. And that is that still Phoenix and Barbara up on movie as well. Correct. Which is a great salt. If you listen to our previous episode on transit. All right. So let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time we are all up in their ears. Let's start with our guest, Josh Lewis. Uh, I am at the Josh L on Twitter and also on Letterboxd where I am dishing out uh, hot takes on all kinds of new release movies and also old movies that I am either forced to watch due to podcast obligations or just on, on, on my own time. I've currently been investigating the shutter streaming service, going through a bunch of old, uh, oldies through there. Uh, but you can also find me talking about genre and exploitation movies every single week over at the Sleezoids 
podcast. Uh, I think I don't even know what we're we're doing next time. I think we're doing something stupid and silly, something like Clint Eastwood's Firefox. Oh, and, I've seen that one. <laughs> and uh, and Stealth 2005. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. With I, Jessica Biel, Jamie Foxx, and that one white guy. <laughs> yes, but but I think by the time people are listening to this, our next free episode for everyone is going to be our Akira and Tetsuo Body Hammer uh, mm-hmm. movie. Some some uh, Japanese uh, body horror and sci-fi going on there. Is so if you're like if you're Tetsuo into any kind the of Iron Man, is that yes, yes, it's the sequel. We just did Tetsuo the Iron Man oh, uh, a few sad. weeks ago, and we're doing the sequel to be paired with Akira. I think we did Iron Man with uh, Altered States. Nice. Oh wow. So every week we do a double feature where we just take on two horror, sci-fi, martial arts. I think we did a Italian Polizio Tetskis in the bag. I don't know. We record so far in advance. Sometimes I forget what we're even releasing. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so that's where you can find me. All right. Michael Snydell. You can find me on uh, Twitter at at Snydell where I'll be lamenting being back in Chicago spending last week in florida it seriously went from like 70 to 45 degrees when i got into chicago it was terrible um <laughs> and uh, also next week I, I mistakenly said it a few weeks ago but my interview with kent jones about diane will be up on the film stage next week all right and you can find me on twitter instagram and all the other social media things at brian j rowan of course my personal site dearfilm.net i have a review up of dragged across concrete if you don't feel like you got a really good image of my impressions of this film already don't forget to look for my interview with s craig zoller the b-side podcast and our review of us on this film stage show feed as well I also have my written review of us at thefilmstage.com, where you will also soon be able to find my review of Tim Burton's Dumbo. <laughs> Cannot believe I'm doing that. Anyway, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Shotguns of fire. And tune in next time. And don't forget to sing along. <laughs> <laughs>